Welcome to Ministry in Motion, a program where we explore best practices in your ministry for the 21st century. I'm Anthony Kent. And I'm Derek Morris. Whether you live in Canada or Colombia, Sweden or Swaziland, God wants you to be a great Christian leader. Whether you're a full-time pastor or a lay leader of your Christian fellowship, God wants to use you to impact your world. Today, we'll talk with Bill Knott, editor for the Adventist Review and Adventist World. He's going to share with us some amazing insights into how we can generate great sermons. This is going to explore communication as well as where we can go to, to develop resources for sermons. Derek, I'm excited about this. Topic. I am too. You know, one of the major uh, assignments for a local pastor is to preach. And as I travel around the world and talk to congregations, it, they're looking for people who can preach the Word of God effectively. Exactly. We've talked about learning from Jesus and about delivery, but, but where do we go as a resource for great sermons? I'm looking forward to the program today. Yeah. And the challenge particularly is preaching a great sermon, not just once, but week after week, and gather, gathering and garnering resources to build a solid repertoire of good quality sermons. That's right, Anthony. It certainly could help a person who says, well, I've used all of my sermons, now I need to move. But rather, how do I continue to grow as an effective preacher? Because I've got some great resources for, for good sermons. Exactly. Well, stay with us, won't you, here in Ministry in Motion. Our next guest is Bill Knott. Welcome back to Ministry in Motion. We're going to be talking to Bill Knott about how to build resources for good quality preaching. Bill, welcome again. Good to be with you. So resources. Tell us, Bill, how do we build resources for good quality preaching? We usually think of resources as tangible things, books, articles, newspapers, commentaries. My experience has been telling me over the last 30 plus years of preaching that resources are also experiences, that I must deliberately take the opportunity to build life experiences that help me to become a better preacher. One of those, and one that I think is frequently overlooked by many of us in the preaching profession, is listening to other people's preaching. One of the ironies of our particular profession is that because we are so engaged week after week in both the preparation and delivery of a sermon, that we have relatively little opportunity to hear other preaching unless we're attending a professional event mm -hmm. or watching someone on television, neither of which look like parish preaching of the kind we're doing. And so the result is that we can tend to grow narrower and narrower over the course of a few years of our preaching profession because we aren't taking the opportunity to listen to other people doing what we do for a living. And there's some great opportunities available now, isn't there? When, when you look at the resources on the internet, oh, absolutely. watching gifted preachers preach, there's, there's a, a plethora of resources that are available in that area. And I would add, there are also the resources that are available in every town or city among persons you know, perhaps pastors of other faiths, an opportunity to attend one of their worship experiences. It's both an affirmation to them as a professional and also an opportunity to hear them interact with people who live in the same community you do. 
who are also living with the same set of circumstances your parishioners may be. I've done this in many places, gone and attended a worship service just for the experience of hearing a friend of mine in ministry share a message from God's Word. It helped me be a better preacher in my congregation down the street when I stood up next to preach. That's an excellent idea. What, what other advice would you offer to, to somebody who wants to build their, their preaching? What, what are the other options available to them? For many of us, we have concluded that the sermon is primarily about things that relate only to the biblical text. Mm -hmm. And while the biblical text must be the heart and, and center of everything we do, the sermon is actually about all the living that goes around the biblical text as well. Therefore, the information you're reading in the news magazine, the, the, uh, the, the journal that you're paying attention to in an area of your hobby or your interest may end up contributing to the quality of that sermon. I have done exercises when I have gone off recruiting to try to find young people for possible roles in pastoral ministry in which I deliberately ask them questions that aren't straight out of ministry or out of a theological preparation. I want to know, do you have the ability to relate to someone who fixes cars, cars for a living? Mm -hmm. Do you have the ability to talk with the town librarian? Could you understand what the mayor does? Would you understand what a car salesman in your community does? Many of us grow specialized to the degree that we lose the language and the vocabulary. One of the things the pastor can do to preach better is literally walk around that community, mm -hmm. meet the mayor, meet the librarian, talk with the car mechanic, talk with those individuals whose lives are actually living real experiences in that very town or, or community in a way that I may not know. I'm the new person usually who's come to that community. I haven't lived there my whole life, typically. Mm -hmm. that's, an, that's one of the things that has helped to shape me as a preacher is deliberately walking around learning about my community. You know, Bill, you seem to be describing an enriched preacher, an enriched sermon mm -hmm. comes from an enriched individual, a, a person that takes opportunity to round themselves and to, to build themselves as a person. Well, the, the challenge for all of us professionally is that we fall into a groove of what's familiar, what's comfortable. And sometimes the straightest distance between two points, you know, we, we go into that natural, how can I get this task done with the least effort? But that's not really the right question to be asking about the handling of God's word. If I want the word to be heard and listened to and applied, then I have to make sure that it has a context in that community. I learned this in a challenging way in my very first parish. I had come up and grown up in academic communities. My father was a college professor. I had grown up in very large, uh, sort of cathedral-style congregations. Mm -hmm. But my first parish was a couple of light years away from there. Most of my parishioners drove snow trucks in the winter. They worked the night shift at the hospital as nurses. Uh, they did work of a kind that I wasn't very familiar with. My wife describes to me now, she said, it was quite an experience listening to you become a preacher to that congregation mm. over your first few months there. She said, I heard you struggling to try to draw illustrations out of their life, to draw not from your background in an academic world, mm. but to draw from the life of someone who's 
who got too little sleep last night because they were got called in for an extra delivery at the hospital mm -hmm. or someone who spent most of this last week out in the cold fixing the town road. Mm -hmm. Those were the people in my parish and I had to go through a process of learning to be their preacher, mm -hmm. not just a preacher in their community. This, this is sounding so much like the, the significance of communication. It's uh, once again, as we had in, the, in an earlier um, Ministry in Motion seminar, it's not just one-way traffic. It's, it's about communication with people, knowing the people and allowing them to have the ownership of, of our message as well as preachers. So resources aren't only things, they are experiences. And to the degree that I invest in high quality experiences that increase my understanding of those I'm preaching to, mm -hmm. that give me a chance to hear other people speaking to that same group, that listen to other high quality preaching. These experiences all flow in. They may not be able to be completely identified as though I can trace the DNA of that experience in the sermon that I'm going to preach this weekend, but they all play in the overall product I develop and share as God's word on the, in the, the next time I stand in a pulpit. This has been exceptionally helpful. Thanks, Bill. Stay with us. We're going to be back, Ministry in Motion, right after this break. Welcome back to Ministry in Motion. Bill Knott is our guest, and we're exploring resources for preaching and communication. Bill, in the recent decade or so, there's been an incredible increase in, in the books that are available to pastors, preachers on preaching. Yes. But are there any other resources that you could point out, highlight, that really assist and help a preacher? In the last 15 years or so, as I've been asked to share seminars with other pastors about preaching, I enjoy startling the groups by reaching for some very untraditional resources. Uh, the last time someone pulled up a copy of a book by Garrison Keeler and recommended it as a preaching resource was quite some time ago. And yet I do so for a very specific reason. I look out at that group of pastors and I say, how many of you would like to sound in your pulpit like this man sounds? Easy on the ear, able to make even challenging points, painful mm -hmm. stories that he tells in a way that the heart and the mind takes them in. If you've ever heard Garrison Keillor in one of his monologues sharing news from Lake Wobegon, you found yourself remembering that story far better than the sermon you heard, maybe the one you preached last week. Why? Because a first-class communicator was finding a way to share a story in a way that reached your heart and not just your head. Mm. So I'll hold up a resource like Garrison Keillor and say, if you want to communicate as effectively as this man has for the last 30 years in the American public, read his material, listen to his material. Not because I want you to take his theology in and trust that his interpretation of scripture is anything appropriate, mm. but to hear the way an effective communicator handles his material. I learn a lot from such untraditional sources as even a comedian 
And even a little irreverent at times. And even a little irreverent, though a lot of his stories are about preachers and churches, you'll, you'll find out, because he comes from a faith background. I similarly point people to information that comes out of the world of politics, of all things. And people say, oh, the pulpit and, and the government, I mean, these two should never meet. Politics and religion. Oh, should, the two things you shouldn't talk about at, a, mm -hmm. at any dinner party. Mm -hmm. I ran across a book some years ago by one of the most gifted speechwriters of the, the, the current political scene, Peggy Noonan. She was a well-known speechwriter, primarily for Ronald Reagan and some for George H.W. Bush. If you remember any line from any speech that Ronald Reagan ever gave, she wrote it. Really? She had a gift for putting words in that man's mouth mm -hmm. that helped him communicate ideas. And notice what they call Ronald Reagan to this day, the great communicator. Mm. It was because he knew how to assemble behind the scenes a team of people who both understood the way language works and motivates people and who put them together in ways that inspired and lifted the heart of a country at a time when, admittedly, mm -hmm. things were going poorly for us, mm -hmm. both domestically and the international scene. This book is really, I tell preachers, a book about preaching. And they say, no, it's not. It's a book about political speech writing. And I say, ah, yes. But there are so many similarities. Today's political speech was yesterday's sermon in another generation. Mm. The dynamics of the way rhetoric moves people, the way material is organized, what reaches the heart is remarkably the same. It's not directly about preaching, but I learned a lot about preaching from a book about political speech. They're excellent points, excellent resources as well, and certainly unconventional. Do you have some more conventional ones for us? <laughs> I knew you would ask because most people are going to be uncomfortable going to some of those. As a young preacher, I made a, a, a habit of trying to develop the greatest breadth I could find in gathering resources for a given sermon. Usually I had mapped out my sermon, my preaching calendar, some months in advance. Mm -hmm. And I had chosen a specific passage of scripture that I knew I was going to be preaching about six weeks from now. Mm -hmm. So all of my thought was beginning to trend toward that passage and I began gathering materials. But in the week immediately preceding, I would deliberately go to a familiar set of resources many of them commentaries, but across a whole range of kinds of commentaries and a whole range of theological expression. Mm -hmm. I deliberately read from what some would call left to right. Mm -hmm. I read exegetical materials, homiletic commentaries, sermonic commentaries. I read sermons that had been published about that passage. I had no interest in preaching someone else's sermon, mm. but I wanted to know where my sermon, as God was giving it to me, fit in the range of what was already there. In a typical week, I had fully a dozen different print resources that I went to and drew on. Some of them very old, and some say, oh, why would you go to something as old as these old classic commentaries? Mm. Because, in fact, there's a great deal of value in there. Yes, it's buried in an old binding and, and the dust comes out mm -hmm. when you open mm -hmm. it. The pages might be... Uh, a bit yellow. Yes. But I will tell you, there's a great deal of life-giving material that's there as well. Yeah. I have learned not to judge the book by the cover and to not pretend that just because a commentary was published last year, it makes it more valuable than one published 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. That in fact, the quality will become apparent as I open it up. Yeah, yeah. So these are the, the, the classic resources. In fact, I happen to live usually in every city I was in within reach of some 
seminary library, not necessarily one from my faith background, but one that kept all these resources on the shelves. Mm. I would add, a lot of the seminarians weren't using them, but mm -hmm. here I was mm -hmm. coming into their library, they let me use it for free, and every week going and drawing on uh, Alexander McLaren, Exposition of the Sacred Scriptures, and Preacher's mm -hmm. Homiletic Commentary, and Pulpit Commentary, Word Commentary, Anchor Bible, Interpreter's Bible. I would read across the theological spectrum to make sure I understood where this text was as God was helping me understand it and how others had treated it. Mm -hmm. That very breadth of material that I tried to gather week by week from at least a dozen different resources helped me begin the crafting of a sermon that I could have confidence in because I knew where the dangers and the pitfalls were. Mm -hmm. I knew how others had mishandled the text in my view in certain cases. Yeah. And I also knew what it was that were the central points that I dare not miss mm. in unfolding this passage. Mm. Can I just ask you, just following on from your, your earlier comment, is there a text at the moment that mm. you're preparing for a sermon? Is there, there, one, that, is there uh, one that you're working with? You know, it's one that began many years ago in my life and is coming around again. Mm -hmm. And I think the best ones always do. They come out of a long life experience. Uh, back in seminary, I read Lewis Smead's book on 1 Corinthians 13, a little one called Love Within Limits. Mm -hmm. uh, Smead's work is uh, drawing on that of many other evangelical scholars. And he writes a very accessible commentary on just one chapter of scripture. Mm -hmm. But the part that reached me then and has recently come back to it, he says in commenting on the line from the Apostle Paul that love does not grow resentful, new King James Version, he says, love does not make for fussy historians. Ah. Well, that's my craft. I've gone on to earn an advanced degree as a church historian. And when I read Smeads on this, I said, you know, this is one of the dangers of my life. I have become not just professionally a historian, but I've become an archivist of those things that made me resentful. I've sometimes gathered and collected and cataloged and indexed grudges. Mm. Maybe this is the way the Spirit is speaking to me that love, as God would have me practice it in my life, doesn't hang on to these things. Even though as a historian I love hanging on to the past, mm. here's a good place to let it go. Mm. Well, you've really touched on something there, the, the, the personal growth experience oh. of, of developing and building a sermon or even a Bible study. We're certainly in a privileged position when we, when we are preachers. Thanks so much for, for joining us in, in this segment, Bill. Stay with us, and I'll say that to our viewers as well. Stay right where you are. We'll be back in just a moment with Ministry in Motion. Welcome back to Ministry in Motion. Joining Bill Knott and I is our co-host, Derek Morris. Bill, we want to explore a little more with you about building a sermon week by week. Mm. There's, there seems to be an enormous amount of work involved. How, how would you describe the value of that investment? I made a decision as a, as a young pastor, as a young preacher, that the most effective use of time I could make during an entire week was the time I spent preparing for that sermon that I delivered each week. Mm -hmm. That was the most concentrated gift I could offer to my worshiping community. Therefore, I deliberately carved at least 15 hours a week 
out of a typical work week for me of about 60 hours, I'll have to admit, in those days. I think I wasn't always the most temperate in those days, but I would devote at least 15 hours a week to getting these experiences and gathering these materials and reading in depth, saturating myself in everything I could find about the passage of Scripture. That's a chunk of time. That was 25% of my work week, and some people would say, but how did you get anything else done? If I handle the pulpit well, if I preach contextualized sermons that speak to that community, I am doing many of the other tasks of ministry in the pulpit and reducing the amount of challenge that I'm going to face outside of my pulpit time. I am doing counseling from the pulpit, if you will. I'm doing a kind of visitation, though it doesn't completely substitute for being in people's homes. But I'm, I'm creating, in, in an effective use of the pulpit, a way to truly pastor that group of people beyond what my personal time could ever extend to. But there would need to be benefits as well that would come as a result. Oh. What, what I mean by that is when you're visiting with, with people or delivering a Bible study, yeah. there's going to be add-on benefits that come as a result of this well, rounded preparation that you're doing. Part of what I learned to preach about was what was happening in the lives of the people there. I, we all come out of seminary, our head full of ideas, great grand themes, and quite sure we're going to set the world on fire. And often we are set down in a place that doesn't seem well matched to these great ideas we have. And one of the things our egos have to handle is the adjustment to being the pastor of the flock that's given to us, not the one we wish we had. Learning how to preach to that congregation, not the one that exists in our imagination that would like to hear our lofty rhetoric. Mm. It took me quite a while to make that adjustment, but the time I invested in doing it was the most effective way I could minister to those people. And their confidence that when they came to worship week by week, they knew that there was going to be something that deeply fed them, that spoke to their lives as car mechanics and people in the labor and delivery room and people who had blue-collar lives that I didn't know so well. Mm -hmm. I was trying to enter their experience and be their pastor in what I did in the pulpit. Mm -hmm. You know, Bill, as I listen to that, I see such an intentionality mm -hmm. and such a rejection of preaching kind of thin sermons prepared at the last minute. Uh -huh. Who inspired you to have that kind of intentional approach towards preaching powerful sermons? I was blessed through the years to, to hear a few preachers. They were not ones I got to hear week by week. They were more the, the occasional one who I could tell had crafted their work in a way that created memorable ideas. To me, one of, the, one of the measures of a useful sermon is, am I still thinking about this on Thursday or Friday? Mm -hmm. If I hear someone preach a message that I'm still engaged with four or five or six days later, that was an effective sermon. And the preachers I began admiring were those who made me think about something by the way they set it up. They showed the word in my life. So I decided that I wanted to craft, by God's help, a, 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 something that would be memorable, that would cause them to be stirred about this, not just for the 30 minutes while they drove home or had lunch, but all through the coming week. Mm -hmm. And I began discovering that my membership began to grow. People began inviting friends to come to worship because they had confidence that something was going to feed them when they arrived. Mm -hmm. This is really inspirational, and I'm, I'm sure that our viewers will find your presentation in our segments in this seminar to be really motivational as well. So thanks so much, Bill, for, for what you've offered. It really is appreciated. Thank you. 
And thank you for joining us as well in Ministry in Motion. We're looking forward to bringing further seminars to you as well, so do join us. But in the meantime, come and visit us at our website, ministryinmotion.tv. There you can access a range of resources and you can also download these seminars as well. These seminars are designed to be multiplied, so take the advantage of that and do multiply them and share them. We'd like to wish you God's richest blessing in your ministry.